Hey there, welcome to the Lead Bold Podcast, a place where we engage in incredible conversations with amazing leaders in ministry and ministry partners as we encourage and challenge one another to live fully into what God is calling us to be. Each episode will dig into three questions. One, what is hard about being a woman leading in ministry? Two, what is one transformational or even trajectory-changing lesson you've learned about leadership? And three, what does it mean to you to lead bold? Today's guest is Susie Flory. She's a New York Times bestselling author, co-author, and memoirist. She's also the director of West Coast Christian Writers Conference and that entire organization, which is incredible. She's the founder of Everything Memoir, and she's also just a total riot, and you're going to love her. Um, Susie's work has spanned over decades uh, when it comes to writing memoirs, as well as inspiring other writers to begin their journeys. And at the end of the day, um, her heart is really for the Lord and to see him at work in the way that stories are told. So enjoy our conversation with Susie. Up next is our conversation with Susie Flory, an award-winning author, theologian, and all-around great leader. She's going to talk with us about the challenges and the rewards of having relational collaborative leadership and the importance of corduroy. Enjoy! Hey everyone, and welcome back to another conversation with our Lead Bold podcast. I'm Andrea Coley, and I'm here with Aaron Seth. Hey, Aaron. Hey, hey. Happy Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. You might be listening on another day, but happy Friday over here. That's right. And let's just point out the rest of it, which is it's Friday the 13th. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would rather have no better guest on Friday the 13th than Susie Flory. Welcome, Susie. Thank you. So glad to be here, you guys. I have known Susie for, uh, what do we think, maybe 10 years. And I am so excited to just be in her circle because as you will get to know, if you don't already know Susie, she is full of wisdom and grace and just discernment, which is a good balance to my, like, my head's in the clouds half the time and I'm flying in 12 directions. So you're very grounding, Susie. I'm glad our audience gets to meet you today. One of my bosses, I used to work at a church and he always called me good old Susie. So here I am, good old Susie. <laughs> it sounds like a mixed compliment, doesn't it? I I told him, you make me sound like an old farm horse or something. Yeah, like there's Susie. She's so predictable and dependable. <laughs> No, I take that as a compliment coming from you, for sure. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I'm I'm excited about our conversation today, and uh, yeah, just excited to jump in. Erin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's so funny, actually, like, we both have an interesting connection to Susie. Susie, I've known you as a peer, but also I went to high school with your children, and your son and I are in the same graduating class, so I used to sit in all my high school classes with your uh, your son. And it's weird to kind of now recognize that like, you know, community, especially in ministry, doesn't really have an age. It's really cool to be able to now know you like as a peer and as a friend, as opposed to just my friend's mom, which is really cool. I love that. Erin, <laughs> I know you, in the school. You... Yeah, I would say at that school, it's a smaller school. It's like family. You grow up like family. So we're, sure. we're practically related, Erin. That's right. That's right. Happy Aaron, to be. Were you? did you start off by calling her Mrs. Flory and then you had to switch to Susie? Yeah. Well, actually, the first time I was speaking at a conference and Susie was also speaking there and it was the first time that I was like, oh, hi. I felt like I was like 
in a position where I could say Susie instead of Mrs. Flory, right? Which is what I had said for years and years. But um, no, it was awesome. And it's so cool, like I said, to see that, um, you know, the opportunity to be a community doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in the same age group, which is something churches do all the time, right? They kind of like block us into people who are in our same stage of life, which has its merits absolutely at the right time. But I love the opportunity to connect with women heterogeneously and really get to like understand their experience and their their backgrounds it's awesome yeah i love that you're an old soul erin and i always was too so (laughs) we have that in common i love that that's great yeah and it's one of the things too with lead bold that i love about our community here is that we are in all different seasons of ministry and life and um you know what family looks like what you know kind of ministry we do so yeah total affirmation on all those points well, I'd love to jump into our actual official conversation, um, and you you guys know that have been listening and joining us for a while, we always ask three questions, and what I love about that is we all start at the same starting point, and yet because we have all those things we just talked about, different ministry experience, different life experience, we get to the answer in a different way. So I want to start off by asking Um, Susie, you have uh, been in ministry, you have led people in ministry, rubbed shoulders with people, taught people, Um, you have been able to see from the inside and the outside about what is hard about being in particularly a woman who is leading in ministry. So could you just talk a little bit about what you have noticed and found to be difficult in some ways about that? So I grew up in a denomination, which shall remain unnamed here, where uh, women were expected basically, I mean, really, as I look back on it, this seems crazy, but all women were expected to submit to all men. So a man, no matter what he was like, if he had an IQ of 25, he was automatically kind of in authority over you in the church. And so I just grew up in that. That was my normal. And there was one time, I think I was in eighth grade, and I played basketball and rode horses, and I was really physically strong. And so uh, it was also at a time, and this fits, this goes with the story, uh, where we wore like corduroy. I mean, it was this weird 70s style where you would wear like corduroy pants and like a brown corduroy vest. And it was like the cool outfit. So I was wearing that. I had my hair cut kind of short because Dorothy Hamill, the figure skater, was like this amazing person. We all wanted to have our hair cut like Dorothy Hamill. Uh, And it was called the wedge. It was called the wedge haircut. Mm -hmm. So I had that and my hair was a little curly on the side. And I don't think I was wearing a ton of makeup yet. Maybe I had a little on. I walk into the church and all my glory and all my corduroy glory. And I was with my dad. And so we're walking together and this older guy walks up. And he was um, kind of over um, several churches. He was like a visiting deacon who would go visit, you know, different churches. And every month or two, he would come to our church and kind of see how everything was going in our denomination. So he walks up. He sees my dad. He's like, oh, Frank, how you doing? And then he looks at me and he goes, is this your son? Oh, my goodness. I want to meet your son. And so every girl, I think, with short hair has had one of these moments, right? 
But as an eighth yeah, grader, it's every, devastating. Like, totally. Everyone who's been in early puberty, it's like your worst nightmare, for sure. Totally. So my dad says, this is my daughter, Susie. And like the guy's face fell. I mean, he was like disappointed that I was a girl. Because I think in his head, if I'm going to project, he's like, oh, here's a nice young man at church, you know, potential leader, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a girl. And he's like, hmm, dang. <laughs> so it wasn't so much the fact of being called a boy, but that he was disappointed that I was a girl. And so that was kind of the journey that I went on, probably starting at that moment, because why would I even remember what I was wearing that day, you know? Yeah, and... it really left a mark on you. Yeah. Meant to, you know, it's funny the things that stick in our memory, right? And so that, you being able to remember so much about that moment of being yeah. so aware that you of what you were not. Yeah, I just felt crushed, I think, like, on the soul level, you know? And I not a super sensitive person. I'm really not, I'm not a highly sensitive person. I just kind of go on my way, do my thing, but it really did crush me. And so I began to realize that I, what I, the way I was treated and, and kind of the culture was that I was not a smart, capable, and I certainly was not going to be allowed into any kind of leadership. You know, seminary was not an option you were just kind of excluded from so much where really you might have the giftings to move into those areas. So um, back then there was no such thing as a glass ceiling, you know, I mean, nobody even used that term or anything like that. I just felt like I wasn't as good or like I wasn't as worthy or that I needed to hide all of these things that I felt were inside of me. So, so um, well, I have a question yeah. there. So, um, you know, when we've talked to, to people who have that kind of a background, it seems like it goes one of two ways. Either it just feels normal because that's all you know, or from the get-go, it doesn't sit right with you and you're dealing with this tension of, like, this doesn't seem right. What, what am I supposed to do about this? Where did you land on that? For me, it was my normal. And if you wanted to be a Christian in this culture, you had to accept it. And I wanted to be a Christian. I love God. I love the church. I love church people. Um, I just was like so in love with God um, at different levels, you know, in your walk with the Lord. And I so I accepted it and I lived it out. And I also supported it, I would say. Um, there was this one moment where I, my husband came from a different denomination where there were some women in, you know, some parts of leadership. And his church um, had a woman come and become a, a pastor. Uh, she wasn't senior pastor, but she was a pastor. It was in Oakland, California. And I remember thinking, oh, I would never want to go to that church with a woman preaching. Yeah. So as much anger or, you know, feelings I have about all of this now, I should be mad at myself, too, because I was part of that system. Well, and I think, too, though, I, for me anyway, because same for me, like I just thought that was the right way to view it all. And it helps me also have some more grace with people who are on a different place on the journey Um, because, you know, there's, 
women much older than I am that are just now kind of entering those tough questions, almost questions they never knew, they never realized they had. And um, really just being able to recognize that we're all in different places on the journey and, and kind of looking back at younger Susie and having grace with her, right? Yeah, I mean, I was just trying to be a good Christian. And I really think that's what is probably the majority. I, don't, I can't speak for everybody, but that's what it seems like from the outside that people feel. And it wasn't until I started writing and speaking and going to other churches that felt differently or just operated differently it just sort of I opened my eyes in a lot of ways so it's just really experiential for me and then yes I started reading and studying and learning and things like that about what the bible said and how things are interpreted but really it was seeing gifted women which you see in lead bold which is one reason I love it so much but seeing gifted women use their gifts and being allowed to use them and people cheering them on which was kind of mind-blowing for me yeah how do you so when you look back like how do you are you still processing that whole story for yourself yeah I totally am because I am still part of you know the church and so the church in America especially and in certain you know churches and denominations this is still a lot, a lot of people are still working through this or not working on it at all. So I am still processing and um, I've been on kind of my word for the year last year, I do the word, a word for the year like people do, uh, was forgiveness. And so I have several people I need to forgive, not just over this, but you know, a family member, a person who did something, whatever. And so I wrote down their initials in my little journal where I write this stuff. And, you know, some of it was some leaders I had known in the church who I felt had, I, I don't want to say held me back, but not opened the door to let me use my gifts, not encouraged me, not, and in some cases, very intentionally and hurtfully. And so I started out on this journey of forgiveness. And I thought I just have to give to the get to the point where I forgive and then I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works. Yeah, definitely how it works. It's like I'm a an plant. optimist. You just plant this is it what I w- and you ignore it, and it's fine. It's gonna thrive. You just check it off. I have forgiven this person. Check, and I realized it doesn't work that way. It is uh, probably going to be lifelong, and something that is intentional. And I think really only through the Holy Spirit, kind of you know, working through you. Because really, I'd like to stay mad at them. I would like to just be mad. There is something that um, my mom used to say to us growing up as kids. And I think it's actually, it's a Christian author, I think named Lewis Smedes who wrote this, Mm -hmm. but it basically says to forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize that the prisoner was yourself. Um, And my mom would say that to us a lot when we were growing up, which is like, you need to set yourself free from this and forgive. But it's, there's something to be said about the like, there is comfort in being able to hold on a little bit to the anger, right? To like hold on to that little piece that says like, my feelings are still valid. Because sometimes I think when we think, when we think we have to forgive, it makes us feel like we're releasing the validity of how we felt. 
And the truth is that's obviously not the case, but sometimes that's how it feels. And so I can imagine, you know, exponentially when it's something that's kind of over a long amount of time, like when we look at the church as a whole, you know, that kind of holistic forgiveness of where things were and the perspective of where they are. I think sometimes it's scary to forgive because it may feel like you're almost opening your hand to how valid your feelings were, if that makes sense. Yeah, and there's a righteous anger. I mean, God certainly, you know, has gotten angry and gets angry, but I don't, he doesn't hold on to it, right? It's like he's angry, he acts, you know, things happen, and then God is love. And so just seeing, you know, that it's not a sin to be angry. Um, I think anger has propelled me to write and to speak and to do a lot of things I do, but not to sit in that anger and feed it. You know, that's where sin creeps in is where you feed it. Yeah, I think it's a such an important part of the process to be thinking intentionally about forgiveness. I think that in addition to wanting to hold on to that anger, I think there's another kind of response, which is just to move on. And like, well, I'm not a part of that structure anymore. I'm not... You know, I've quote unquote moved past it and I'm just going to do what I, what I feel called to do and live in that freedom um, without even taking the time to really explore where, where were those wounds and how did they affect me and whose hand were they by or whose mouth were they by and being able to set aside some focus toward forgiveness. It's a, it's not something I've um, really thought about in that particular way when it comes to this journey. I, I really love that perspective and it's important. There's also a revenge motivation that can happen too. You know, as you move on, like you were saying, Andrea, you can say, I'm going to show them what a woman can do. And maybe there's a part of that that's healthy, right? You're determined, you're energetic, you want to change things, but it can also be, I'm going to show you what I can do and I hope you feel bad and sad and wish I was still there you know that I mean it's crazy how that happens and it's like your motivation becomes revengeful you know revengeful vengeful revengeful Um, (laughs) and that's wrong yeah and and I think women leaders can be vulnerable to that because a lot of us are kind of competitive kind of driven you know, like to achieve. I mean, it's kind of how God has made us to move forward and do, you know, things. And so this revenge can I sort of creep in too. So that's something I've become aware of and tried to guard against as much as I can. Yeah, it's a really good thing to point out because it's a fine line, right? Um, And it is so internal. Like nobody really knows if I'm feeling that inside. What harm does it do? But what's ironic is on the flip side of it, on the good side of it, like you mentioned, if you are like, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to live to my full potential, I'm, and I'm, and not that I'm going to show them, but I'm going to do this because I get to. What's ironic to me about that is so often the the conversation doesn't necessarily change minds. It's the seeing God work through a woman at a level or in a way that your theology isn't matching up with. And so what do you do with that? And I think that's a lot of the ways that God starts, I think that the spirit starts to kind of soften someone's heart to even ask 
again, those questions, you know. Yeah, because really, who wants to follow an angry, vengeful, bitter leader? You just right. don't want to. It doesn't work on any level, and it's right. bad for you. So Yeah. No, that is good. That's good. Well, not that I wouldn't want to talk about this forever because we have probably so many more things we could say, but um, as you think about your journey and your experience in particular, um, moving on to kind of our second question, what is something that was a big lesson for you and maybe even shifted, you know, the way that you approach ministry, leadership, those kinds of things. Can we talk about that a little bit? So uh, when I was kind of coming up in the church and even in early days of any leadership that I was involved in was, um, it was very hierarchical. You know, if you look at sort of the old org charts for corporations, and a lot of them are still this way, and churches can look like this and nonprofits, there's like one person at the top, then there's two people, and then it's like this pyramid, right? Of You know, it's kind of like looking at an Amway chart, too, or <laughs> Avon chart, where you're trying to get all your salespeople, or LuLaRoe, whatever. No offense to LuLaRoe, I have leggings. Um, <laughs> but it's there's a hierarchy, right? And um, we see this all the time in my yard. We have a... Um, we have a flock of free range chickens and, you know, Sheldon, the rooster is the boss. And then he has a boss lady and then he has a group of favorites. And then there's sort of, you know, the outcast. Well, um, isn't that where that... the whole phrase pecking order came from? From chickens, totally. right? Okay. So and you're it's... seeing it lived out. It's so true. And also he has, um, he's a fighting rooster. Teddy oh, rescued him out of East Oakland. And he's got like these spurs, literally, they're like four inches long. So, you know, oh. you don't want to mess with Sheldon. Um, and so that's what I thought kind of like leadership was like. Like you fight your way up, because I am sort of, you know, a fighter that way. You fight your way up, you get at the top, and then you get to make things look like you think they should. And my big revelation was um, I took over a writer's conference about six years ago. I asked four friends to do it with me. A pastor was retiring, needed to pass it on. And we took it together as a group of friends with pre-existing friendships. And so it just organically, not because I designed it or anybody did, but it was like five people leading together as a team. And we were friends and we laughed and we had fun and we did silly things. You know, eventually we created like this donut wall at our conference and, you know, we would pose <laughs> with the, the cow, because, you know, just fun, fun things. And it really revolutionized my idea of how an organization could be organized. It doesn't have to look like, you know, a brawling chicken yard. <laughs> I, um, you know, uh, probably a year or two ago, Susie, you shared with me your org chart and I will put I'm doing air quotes even though nobody can see me um which I would love for you to describe what it looks like to people because instead of like you said the you know the pyramid shape it has a whole different shape can you tell us and I think that represents what you're talking about yeah it's a, it's clusters you know, so it's, I'm trying to think what it would look like, but it's like uh, four or five clusters of circles. And the center circle, instead of being a boss, is the mission of that part of the organization. So this is the thing everyone's working on. And then the circle is around it, almost like maybe like around, like you're sitting at a round table 
and then there's seats around it. That's what these clusters look like, and that's our org chart. It took me about a year to do that with input and talking to people and working through it. I could not do the pyramid thing. I just couldn't make it work. Um, and so people are in positions based on leadership ability, whether they want to lead, you know, what, what you know, experience, things like that. Um, and everyone gets a voice. You know, every we have a kind of a consensus model in our nonprofit. And it, it's a little messier. It takes a little longer. But, oh, my goodness, everyone's in on it. That sounds so cool. I obviously come from the corporate sector where in HR, where, like, it very much is, like, the org chart looks a very specific way. And I do think that sometimes what that does, even in ministry, too, is it, it compartmentalizes people's idea of what they can or should or would work on versus being able to kind of understand a more collaborative approach to say that like what's at the center of all of our jobs is this thing, right? And I think it saves, you know, there's always going to, it's important to always have a healthy boundary of what it is as expected of you, right, in your job description. But at the same time, I think it saves a lot of that, like, well, that's not my job versus like, I would love to help. Like that's something that I'm connected to, you know, which is very cool. I think that definitely serves to be a collaborative space which is something that I think, you know, we could all uh, benefit from. Yeah, that's such a good word to describe that collaborative. It feels, and it feels dynamic. Like it's not like, here it is, here's the boundaries. Like you're saying, Erin, like this is what you do, this is what you don't do. But it's it's fluid and that's relational because when, some, you know, relationships are give and take. So why can't our working relationships also be that way where, you know, you have a project coming up, so we're all going to give toward what you're doing a little more, or so-and-so has kind of a personal crisis going on, so we're all going to give a little more and realize that person's not going to give as much. Um, That is so freeing, and it feels very body of Christ. Um, And the whole point of doing leadership and life and missional work with friends I love that. And it, it sometimes people shy away from that, right? Because it feels like business and relationship. How, how have you been able to manage that? I mean, obviously, you've probably had conflicts, right? Yes, we definitely have. Um, it's hard. Oh, my goodness. This is the hard part. When you're working with your friends in you know church or other ministry contacts, for me, it's this nonprofit, there are going to be times that that person you know, does something where they can't be on the team anymore, or they're just not participating at all. Or, um, you know, there have been a a couple of those situations. And I want to preserve the friendship. And it is really hard to do. And so the approach I've tried to take is to keep them involved in the organization, or at least extend that invitation, you know, to stay involved, but not in leadership and to try to affirm everything that they have done right and the work that they've put in. Because most of the time when something goes bad, it's not 100% bad, right? Like that person has done some amazing things and has contributed and been part of the team. So if you're asking someone to step down, that affirmation, taking on as much blame as you can yourself, And, you know, just trying to do that hard task of kind of separating that, you know, working relationship, but maintaining the friendship 
And in almost, I think in every case that has happened for me personally, um, but it does, it can take some time because there can be hurt feelings on both sides. But I always just try to kind of reach out periodically and, you know, I, 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 I used to be better at walking away from these relationships and that was not a good thing. I could just move on. And I've learned that is not the way to do it because I've ha I've been on the receiving end of that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so, really wise. Yeah. It is hard, but it is the, the wise and loving way to be for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you may not get to tell your, like, I would like to always tell the whole story of everything that happened <laughs> and make it known what happened. You know, that I'm not a reporter in this situation. I'm not a newspaper. I don't need to tell the whole story. So, Yeah, it's such a good point about leadership, especially Christian leadership, that when you are leading the organization or representing the organization, you just never really can fully tell quote unquote, your side, because you have to be gracious. And it, yeah, I, I've had that situation too, um, in, in church life and in nonprofit life. And it is a, a hard calling to live up to, but it truly is the gracious thing to do, you know? So you mix in relationship with that and woo, com hashtag complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, Susie, we're going to get to our last question about what, do you, what does it mean to you to lead bold? But um, one thing that we do um, on our podcast is we, uh, Aaron and I, as we're in the conversation, we try to come up with a fictitious title for your autobiography. Um, I'm sure Aaron has come up with a few. I've come up with a few. And now here's the difference with Susie, who's a professional write, like award-winning writer, is yeah. <laughs> you actually have to write it. We tease our audience, our guests, like, now you have to go write it. And I, I feel like you you actually would go write it. So just saying. Erin, <laughs> did you come up with some? I just, I, the only thing that grabbed me the most was, like, the, um, I just, I'm so, I can't get the corduroy vision out of my mind. Like, <laughs> I'm yes! sorry. I'm so sorry. Yes! Like, I feel like that's kind of like the tagline. Like, I'm, I haven't like decided on title yet, but the tagline mm -hmm. is like, you know, lessons from like, you know, <laughs> lessons from 70s corduroy or like something like that. All right. I'll put it in mine. Okay. Okay. I have, so my first option is, Feisty but forgiving. I love that. Oh, that's so cute. What if we did a tagline or a subtitle? Feisty but forgiving, living my best corduroy life. Yeah, that's right. But then the other one I came up with is just a leadership book called Don't Be a Sheldon. Yeah. <laughs> Cockatoo I like that. for leadership. Like that. I like love that. that. That's so, so good. Are, you know, we're going to let you run with it, Susie. Um, yeah, you just, whatever makes you feel like you can make, write this book. Susie's always telling other people's stories. Susie needs to tell her story. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> uh, all right. In our last couple of minutes, the, my, I'm challenging you to sum up <laughs> what does it mean <laughs> to lead bold? Um, so one thing that, 
I've talked about with a lot of women, including my daughter. I have a 27 year old daughter. So we talk about all kinds of stuff like this and, you know, being a millennial and all. And uh, one of the things that I have learned how to do is to say no or to say I don't agree. And I grew up in an environment where I didn't have that. It was not an option to say I don't agree with what you're teaching or I don't agree with this policy or whatever. And uh, recently I had the opportunity with my seminary cohort, a group of women, um, there were maybe 10 of us in this meeting. We got to meet with this amazing professor named Lynn Kohick. Um, her name is spelled C-O-H-I-C-K. She's a specialist in the Greco-Roman world for, uh, for women. So she can tell you what life was like for women in the early church era. era. She's amazing. She's brilliant. She's written books. Um, she's fabulous. She was meeting with us because we were talking about this very subject we've been talking about on your podcast. And she was telling us that when she was getting ready to go to school and get her Ph.D., her uh, pastor wouldn't let her teach a Bible study. She could only teach 12 and under at her church. <laughs> so, so here she is, like this off-the-charts person, you know, and, he, and she, she, he wouldn't let her teach. And she said to him, I don't accept that. And we were all like, and I wrote it like in my notes and underlined it. I don't, I mean, it's such a simple thing. She didn't fight him. She didn't debate him. She just said, I don't accept it. And we all were just sort of sitting open mouth, like, you can say that? Like, you know, I don't know. It just felt like almost sinful to say that to a male leader in power at a church. And so that's what I would say to your listeners, is there may be things that feel unjust or that are uh, painful to you as a, as a woman leader or as a woman with leadership ability. And you can and sometimes should say and how, public, how publicly you want to say it is up to you. It may just be you say it to yourself, in your journal, to your family, to your friends, or publicly. That is an option. You can say, I don't accept that. Wow, that is powerful. Um, I'm imagining you writing that down in your notes, and I want us all to memorize that. And I love the, the, the permission to have, again, wisdom about how you say it. You know, yes, maybe it is more of an internal processing and, and that is okay. Maybe it is um, a risk that you take to say it more publicly, knowing that there are women coming after you that need that to be said on their behalf so that the path starts to get yeah. carved a bit. And sometimes it may start personal, which is how it started with me, and then you pray and you talk to wise people, and at the right time and in the right way, you may express that in the appropriate way. Well, that is a wonderful note to end on because it is the yeah. epitome of leading bold, um, being gracious, being authentic to what God has called you into, and, and knowing that we don't need everyone else's permission. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Susie, we'll let you go and write your book that we've assigned to you. <laughs> and um, we are so grateful to have gotten with you today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your honesty and just all the things. So grateful to have you as part of our Lead Bold community. Aww. Thank you, Susie. Thanks, you guys. What a privilege. Thanks for having me. <laughs> all right, everybody. Bye.
Well, we hope you enjoyed this amazing time with the incredible Susie Flory. Um, if you were curious about more information for West Coast Christian Writers, um, which is amazing, the next step for that conference is February 17th through the 19th. It's 2022. For more info, you can go to www.westcoastchristianwriters.com. And we did want to let you know that Susie's new book, Sanctuary, The True Story of an Irish Village, A Man Who Lost His Way, and the Rescue Donkeys Who Led Him Home, releases in March uh, in 2022. And we're very excited for you to hear the newest uh, memoir and story from the amazing Susie Flory. If you're looking for more info for Lead Bold, you know you can always find us at leadingbold.org. And we'll talk to you next time on the podcast.